Hello, this is Doug Clark Jr. podcasting from Louisville, Kentucky, recording episode 8 of the Breaking Class Park on December 22nd, 2018. Welcome to the 8th episode of Working Class Park, where the news is for us, the workers, not for them, the rich and powerful. Thank you for listening to this episode, and let me begin by describing to you what this podcast is for. This podcast is for sparking the working class. It serves as an ignition for workers' power against the rich and powerful who have their foots on our throats. It serves as a spark for street politics and collective action. And through these methods, we must fight for our freedoms and rights as human beings. This podcast is a rallying cry for you, the worker, the worker's advocate, and the desperately unemployed to stand up to the rich because workers have been screwed by the system. This is what this podcast is all about. This part of the episode is called Term of the Week. Um, it's usually a word that people have heard of and may not understand completely exactly what it means and how it uh, is relevant to working class power. And the term of the week this week is collective bargaining. Collective bargaining, according to Britannica Academic, is the ongoing process of negotiation between representatives of workers and employers to establish the conditions of employment. The collectively determined agreement may cover not only wages, but hiring practices layoffs, promotions, job functions, working conditions and hours, working discipline and termination, and benefit programs. Now, let's cut through all the murky academic stuff and be more direct here. To simplify it is the style contract of contract negotiations a union has with bosses, whereas the workers are represented as one in order to have more power rather than if all employees had to negotiate their contracts individually. So since the union members are negotiating as one group instead of as individuals, they have more power to bargain. And as I read earlier, not only do wages get negotiated, but other important worker rights, such as processes of conducting layoffs, promotions, safe working conditions, and establishing your benefits, such as good health insurance and pensions. Uh, this practice is huge in terms of gaining workers' needs, which helps contain the power of the owners and stockholders who have, because the bosses want to give us as little as possible. Now, why this issue is so important today is the danger of the right to work movement. Right to work means allowing people to work at a union workplace or union shop without joining the union so they don't have to pay union dues. This has two big negatives. First, the workers who don't join the union become free riders. They still have all the benefits without none of the cost. They get the same wages, same benefits, and same working conditions the union fights for without paying any dues. Secondly, with less union workers in a workplace, the union has less leverage to get better wages, etc. through collective bargaining than they would if every worker was a union member. So in conclusion, based upon this news and commentary I've put on this podcast today and before, you must know by now that I'm in favor of labor unions as a form of collective action. Uh, They are the first step towards true working class power against the rich who control our lives. Now, many large unions today are led by people who are more in the pocket of the two-rigged party system than they ought to be. So the answer to this problem should be creating smaller, more representative collectives organized by workers today. Right now, a large union leaders are out of touch with the people they represent. So we must cut the distance between the union leaders and place in the hierarchy and get more involved as union members and workers. All right, our first article of the week regarding working class power is from The Guardian and it's called Amazon faces boycott ahead of the holidays as public discontent grows. And it is subtitled, A Growing Number of Customers Are Fed Up with the Company, From Its Working Conditions at Warehouse to Anti-Tax Lobbying 
and it's from Monday the 17th of December 2018 and it begins the holiday season is all about spending time with your loved ones and judging by most office mail rooms shopping on Amazon last year 76 of America 76 percent of Americans who shopped online for Christmas presents said that they plan to do most of that shopping on Amazon Amazon now accounts for just shy of half of all online sales in the U.S. and Santa has no so little helper is expected to have another bumper Christmas this year. But there are a growing number, excuse me, but there are a growing, growing number of people whose front steps won't be graced by Amazon pack, packages this festive season. Consumers boycotting the online retail. No one denies the convenience of shopping on Amazon, but for some there are a host of reasons. From the working conditions at Amazon warehouses, company's aggressive anti-tax lobbying, its impact on local businesses, or its selling of white nationalist merchandise that make that convenience too high a price to pay. But even those shoppers can see their boycotts come at a price. Stephen Shamrock, 51, had been considering boycotting Amazon for a while. First, when he learned how Amazon workers were treated. Jeff Bezos might be one of the richest men in the world, but Amazon's median salary is a, pop, excuse me, a paltry $28,446 a year. The second time Shamrock considered boycotting Amazon was when he read about the company's dominance on web services. Amazon Web Services control around 45% of the world's cloud computing capacity and provides the web services for customers ranging from Netflix to the CIA to the UK's Ministry of Justice. The last trial came in May of this year when he read that Amazon was banning customers who made too many returns. If the companies get so big they can start picking and choosing their customers, it's not really a business that promotes competition, said Shamrock, who runs his own public accounting practice in the Chicago area. According to him, nothing is good in extremes, especially large companies that end up controlling prices or distorting them. I think any time a company gets that large and gets that much academic, excuse me, economic power, it never ends well. Recently, Amazon announced that it was going to start paying its employees at least $15 an hour and that it will exert some of its influence on Capitol Hill lobby for an increase in the federal minimum wage. While on this surface, this announcement seems to benefit the workers. The move also benefits Amazon. With the unemployment rate dropping below 4% and fewer Americans looking for jobs, companies have been, excuse me, have been scrambling to attract potential job candidates. And in order to get all those Amazon Prime packages out on the time for the holidays, Amazon has had to hire 100,000 more people this year. Shamrock, who said he might reconsider his boycott if the company were to treat its employees better, was not impressed by this news. The increase is still not a living wage, and I have not heard of any improvements in working conditions. We are still boycotting Amazon, he said. His wife and their 21-year-old sons have also joined the boycott. Laura Klein, too, would like for Amazon to make more effort in order to get her to end her boycott. When she gets an urge to shop, Klein goes online and checks whether Amazon is still streaming NRA TV, the National Rifle Association streaming media service. Shopping on Amazon is very convenient, but for the last 10 months, Klein has been boycotting the company. Klein decided to boycott Amazon shortly after the school shooting in Parkland, Florida. In February, they claimed 17 lives. At the, excuse me, at the time, the New York Times published a feature about NRA TV, the National Rifles Association's online TV channel which broadcasts pro-gun content and is streamed by Amazon Fire TV as well as Apple TV and Roku. It, was, it wasn't long before the calls for Amazon's boycott spread like wildfire across the internet. Months later, nothing has changed. 
As a result, Klein has done most of her holiday shopping at a local brick and mortar store and has resolved to boycotting the season of The Marvelous Miss Maisel, which premiered on Amazon Prime on December 5th. Every time Klein is, excuse me, every time Klein is to make a purchase online, she has to remind herself not to go on Amazon. That's why she continues to check if they are all still streaming NRA, excuse me, that's why she continues to check if they are still streaming NRA TV. Because if they stop, then I'd say, oh, wonderful. I would love to do business with them again. But as long as they continue to, I just can't. Morally, I just can't, say Klein 45, who lives in New Jersey and works in the pharmaceutical marketing during the day. In her spare time, she works as an interfaith minister. The decision was not an easy one. Klein has been shopping on Amazon since the 90s when she used the website to buy books and CDs. By 2018, she bought almost everything via Amazon, even her groceries. She had supported boycotts before, like the Chick-fil-A boy, excuse me, like Chick-fil-A, which faced a backlash for opposing same-sex marriage. However, those boycotts didn't really affect her personally because she wasn't really buying from the companies that much anyway. I thought, oh, that's a really great idea, but I wasn't the one giving something up and in giving up my business with Amazon. I wasn't just giving up on things. It felt like I was giving up on pretty much everything, said Klein. This boy felt, excuse me, this boycott felt like a breakup. I really had to think about, excuse, I really had to think about how do I buy things? Where do I go? What do I do? I've gotten so used to not going to a physical store or using other online services for shopping and figuring much, and excuse me, out how else to buy ebooks. It was really almost like starting from scratch in a lot of ways. Amazon is not simply a workplace. For many loyal shoppers, it's a way of life. To resist the temptation of Amazon, Klein deleted all Amazon apps from her phone and iPad. She started shopping for groceries in the store and has been reading books that she bought in the past but hasn't gotten to read, she gotten to read yet. Throughout the months, she would occasionally tweet about her experience with the hashtag Boycott Amazon. Experts are not convinced that boycotts work. While I'm suspect that corporate protest or purposed excuse me, or proposed boycotts rarely lead company executives to see the light. Morally speaking, the bad PR surrounding them can be prohibitively expensive, said John Paul Rollert, adjunct professor of behavioral excuse me, of behavioral science at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. There are recent examples of success. Take Bank of America, said Rollert, which was forced to scrap $5 a month fee for using one debit card to make purchases unless a customer had made a minimum of $20,000 in her bank account. Bank of America floated the plan in September of 2011 at the height of the Occupy Wall Street movement. Within a week, one of their consumers started a Facebook campaign proposing a bank transfer day on, 5th of November, excuse me, on the 5th of November. The protest got so much attention that on November 1st, Bank of America caved and rescinded the plan. The potential loss of business was enough to make boycott, excuse me, was enough to make Bank of America reverse course but perhaps Amazon is too big to boycott. For years, some spurned Amazon in favor of local bookshops. And more recently, people set out Prime Day in which solidarity with workers protesting against the company in Europe. Yet Amazon barely shrugged and continued growing earlier this year. The company disclosed that the number of Prime members surpassed 100 million. More new members signed up for Prime in 2017 and another year. The Shamrock and Klein know no one, of no one else that is actually boycotting Amazon. Klein's friends told her that they would give it a try, but she doesn't know if they actually went through with it. The few times that a boycott has come up in Shamrock's conversations, he said others were a little bit confused and then just moved on. In order for such boycotts to work, a lot of people had to do it, obviously, said Shamrock, but I haven't heard of any large-scale efforts for that. 
His guess is that Amazon is too convenient and too big. Now, boycotts are great if you have a lot of money. But if not, if you're like me, you have to shop at those great deals. Um, and at the same time, it's like Walmart. I really hate shopping there because it's not union. But at the same time, I don't have enough money to buy um, needs anywhere else. So it'd be nice to be able to, for us to boycott Amazon if we can. But if not, um, don't feel too bad because the struggling, working poor uh, have to do what they have to do to survive. For our second piece of news this week, it comes from In These Times, an excellent collective action magazine that is uh, free on the internet, only asking for donations. And if you can even get it in print, if you're a union member, um, if you like to get In These Times, please, please find it on the internet. Um, the Year in Civility is the term, I mean, excuse me, is the title, The Six Worst Appeals to Norms and Good Manners of 2018. And it's subtitled as the right went on, uh, went on the offensive. These Democrats called for appeasement. And it begins. Of course, there's no compromising with the far right. And in today's excuse me, in today's climate, civility is just another word for capitulation. In 2018, the US right escalated its war on unions, tear gas, and mass jailed families seeking asylum at the southern border, confirmed an accused rapist to the Supreme Court, and advanced a plan to dramatically erode the rights of transgender people. The Republican Party also rallied behind a president who threatened to annihilate the Korean Peninsula with, me, the Korean Peninsula with nuclear weapons, called Haiti, El Salvador, and African nations as whole countries, and said he doesn't believe in alarming new climate report compiled by his own administration. This political landscape demands fierce opposition from the left, but predictably, establishment Democrats are delivering the opposite broad denunciations of the lack of good manners and calls for a return to more friendly and amicable order. Under this framework, civility, the enemy becomes immoderation and lack of restraint. Rather than the Trump administration's politics of racism and death, Democrats search for depth common ground, pushes the entire political spectrum to the right so that war criminals like George W. Bush and John McCain are cast as the reasonable center, while outraged, excuse me, while outraged protesters are deemed out of price. Excuse me, out of bounds. Of course, there is no compromising with the far right, and in today's climate, civility is just another word for capitulation. In that spirit, here are the six worst civility stunts for, from 2018. Number one, Michelle Obama and George W. Bush. Michelle Obama and George W. Bush received fawning media coverage in early September when the former president passed a cough drop to the former first lady during the funeral of Senator John McCain. Countless articles were written about the sweet moment, which included profiles of a friendship the U.S. Today called BFF goals. When asked about the cough drop exchange, Obama described Bush as a wonderful man. This gesture was a, such a hit that Bush reenacted it as a father's excuse me, reenacted it as his father's funeral in early December. The similar media fanfare. The stunts are now referred to as tradition, played into the rehabilitated image of George W. Bush as America's adorable and quirky grandfather. The friendly media coverage, of course, omitted any mention of the 1 million Iraqis who were killed as a result of Bush's 2003 invasion of Iraq. Number two, Beto O'Rourke. During Beto O'Rourke's unsuccessful campaign to unseat Texas Senator Ted Cruz, he had a distinction of receiving an award alongside Will Hurd, Republican from Texas, for civility. In July, the duo, excuse me, the duo won the Allegheny Prize, excuse me, Allegheny College Prize for civility in public life 
for live streaming the 1600 mile world trip they took together from Texas to Washington, D.C. In March 2017, after the two were stranded by flight delays and cancellations, the committee praised O'Rourke and Hart for their collegial discussions on the decisive issues of the day, with the Houston Chronicle gushing about the pair's unlikely bromance. This bromance helped re-elect Hurd, who, who voted to cut taxes for the wealthiest Americans supported by the Keystone XL pipeline and recently voted to block a House effort to end the devastating war on Yemen. O'Rourke, who has attracted the attention of former Obama staffers, as a potential, excuse me, a potential presidential candidate, publicly refused to lend his star power to support Heard's opponent, Democrat Gina Ortiz Jones. In November, Ortiz Jones lost the race by roughly 1,000 votes. Number three, Joe Biden. Former Vice President Joe Biden spent much of 2018 setting up a potential run for president, and so far has positioned himself as the vanguard of power, excuse me, vanguard of personal civility. This posturing reached its zenith on Veterans Day 2018 when Biden, when Biden presented former President George W. Bush and former First Lady Laura Bush with the National Constitution Center's Liberty Medal for their commitment to veterans. Biden praised the incredible work that Bush did for veterans, making no mention of the fact that the former president is responsible for placing veterans in harm's way in the first place, excuse me, resulting in the deaths of thousands of U.S. troops and leaving countless more wounded and excuse me, psychologically scarred. This is not to mention the people living in the countries Bush invaded. While death tolls are difficult, excuse me, difficult to calculate, one report found that by 2015, the war on terror has killed at least 1.3 million people in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. Thankfully, anti-war veterans with the group About Face Veterans Against the War took notice and protested the event. Chance of, excuse me, chance of no war to endless wars could be heard in the background as the ceremony took place. These wars are hurting people, every single one, every single one of us, except for the politicians and corporations that profit, said one veteran, shouting through a bullhorn. Number four, Joe Manchin. In February, Senator Joe Manchin, Democratic West Virginia, tried to establish bipartisan decorum in the Senate by issuing a civility pledge in which senators promised not to campaign against their colleagues. Manchin, the most conservative Democratic senator, argued in favor of making donating to campaigns opposing sitting senators a violation of Senate ethics. I don't see anybody in public service that's willing to put their name on the ballot as my enemy, he said. If you're willing to serve, then I'm your comrade. I'm willing to work with you. Manchin extended this amicable spirit to the most white nationalist wing of the Trump administration, breaking with the Democrats to vote in career racist sessions, excuse me, Jeff Sessions for Attorney General. Yet he had harsh words for his congressional colleagues who refused to stand during Trump's State of the Union address in 2018 in the aftermath of Trump's racist reference to Haiti, El Salvador, and African nations as SO countries. Manchin told Fox and Friends that the way I was raised in West Virginia, we have respect there is some civility, so yet there should be a civility in this place. Number five, Cory Booker. On a snowy March day in Washington, D.C., several media outlets published cheerful articles about a snowball fight between New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, excuse me, Cory Booker and Arizona Senator, the Arizona Senator Jeff Flake. The day after a snowstorm shut down most of Washington, D.C., the two senators decided to get their Alexander Hamilton Aaron Burr on USA Today playfully clipped. The politicians gleefully tweeted about this match, with Cory Brooker winning PR points with a little self-deprecating humor. I should have known this was a step 
excuse me, I should have known this was a setup. Lost this morning, snowballed duel to a guy named Flake from Snowflake, Arizona. See, critics were quick to point out that the flight played into Jeff Flake's posturing as a reasonable Republican in the Trump era while voting for the president's far-right policy agenda 81% of the time. Flake backed the confirmation of Brad Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court and played a critical role in passing the GOP tax bill by selling out DACA recipients. Number six, Nancy Pelosi. Soon after Democrats won a majority of seats in the House of Representatives in the November midterms, House Min Excuse me, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi says she will try to find common ground with the Trump administration when she becomes Speaker of the House, referencing her ability to collaborate with George W. Bush. I worked very productively with President Bush when we had the majority and he had the presidency, she has said, in reference to her first in as House Speaker in 2007. Unfortunately, this productive relationship enabled Bush to maintain his bloated budget for the Iraq War, send more troops to Afghanistan, and dodge consequences for post-9-11 torture. This is not the only civility stunt that Pelosi pulled in 2018. In June, the Democratic leader publicly rebuked Representative Maxine Waters, Democrat from California, for calling for direct action to stop Trump administration officials from separating and jailing immigrant families at the border. By appealing to an idyllic and fictional past, Pelosi's condemnation encapsulated how civility politics echoes the slogans of Trump. In a crucial month ahead, she said, we must strive to make America beautiful again. Uh, last thing we need in this political environment is civility. We need collective action. And uh, we need to fight the power of the rich because they had their foots on our throats. Thank you for listening to episode 8 of Work Class Park this week, and I hope you subscribe. I'll be conducting each episode on the Saturday of each week from here on out, and we may feature the occasional special episode. You can also now find the show on all the major podcasting hosting sites across the web, and it's easier to find our podcast somewhere else other than through Anchor.fm or the Anchor app. You can just search for Working Class Spark, Working Class Spark over at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Uh, you can like our Facebook page over at Working Class Spark and hit the email button to reach us. Our email is directly at workingclassspark1 at gmail.com. But the only way to contact us and leave a voicemail message would be through the Anchor app. You can also now find our new Twitter account with nearly 300 followers over at workingclasssp1. You can also find Working Class Spark over at Instagram at workingclassspark. I look forward to getting your responses. Thank you, and let's keep sparking the working class. So in closing, if you haven't gotten a sense of what is needed more than anything else here to produce a great podcast, is that I need you to contribute. I need you to send me clippings of articles that you think would lend to the working class movement. I need book reviews and recommendations. I need to know the best working class freedom movement sites on the web. I need to be made aware of what's going on in your community toward helping the working class battle the parasitic rich. I need you to email me what you're thinking or your opinions regarding the show and the struggle. I need you to tell me in general what you, the listener, one out of this podcast. For this podcast to work, I need this to be a collective project amongst us listening, working class members, advocates, and the unemployed workers among us. I would also like to respond to some of your emails and share them with our fellow listeners. And if you have the Anchor app on your iPhone or Android, through the Anchor app, you can actually leave a voice message that I would be able to play on the next podcast. I would also like to put together a segment with interviews. I can interview leaders, professionals, lecturers, and fellow workers who fight for the freedom of the working class. I'd be interested in interviewing some of you, the listeners who have something to say. And please subscribe 
and share the link wherever you can.